Welcome to Self-Compassionate Professor, a career wellness podcast for mid-career and recovering academics who want more. More meaning, balance, rest, joy, and more clarity. Our motto here is no regrets. So glad you're here. Hello, hello. Welcome to episode 126. I'm Danielle Delamar, and we are continuing with the July Vision Series. And for this episode's Vision Series interview, I am re-releasing my conversation with Dr. Liz Smith, who holds the office of Gunnison County Commissioner in Colorado. When I asked her for updates, she said that she's still loving the county work and that her recent initiatives involve supporting child welfare advocacy and early childhood education, chairing the Southwest Colorado Opioid Regional Council, working on a plan to address noxious weeds and habitat restoration across the Gunnison Basin. Liz is also creating and preserving workforce housing And Collective Colorado, as well as Colorado Sun, have recently published pieces on a mobile home park community she's been working on for nearly a year now. You can find Liz Smith on Instagram at Liz for Gunnison County. And what I love about Liz's story is that she truly reimagined a different career, a career in politics. She ran for office and she won. Such a great example of vision and re-envisioning, reimagining career. And don't forget about the easing into fall semester. It's a workshop and two co-working events. We're doing August 15th, 16th, and 17th. You can come to just the workshop, which is $15. It's an hour and a half on Monday and There, we sort of work through your fears and your anxieties and your resistance to fall semester. And then you can also come to the compassionate co-working groups I'll be holding on that Tuesday, the 16th, and Wednesday, August 17th. It's a way to work that feels supportive. It's a way to work that isn't full of self-pressure but it's also a way to make sure that you're showing up (laughs) and doing the work and not avoiding it. So yeah, feel free to come to the workshop on that Monday, or you can register just separately for the co-working groups, which will also be held later that week on the Tuesday and Wednesday. So yeah, August 15th through the 17th, easing into fall semester. You can register for any of that on my website at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Just go to career wellness workshops and register for easing into fall. I really hope to see you there. I know that when I was faculty, I could have really used something like this because I avoided, avoided, avoided. I would pretend the semester wasn't starting. And in the background, I would get a lot of anxiety but sort of in the foreground, try to pretend that I was cool and I was just enjoying the last bit of my summer. (laughs) So yeah, it was like an undercover sort of stress ball (laughs) and I wasn't getting any work done. And 
and I saw the semester coming and, and I would get more and more stressed yet I wouldn't do anything about it. Right. Like I would literally wait for like three days before the semester, before I started writing my syllabi. Anyway, if you are somebody who has a toxic working habit, like I did, or you have a different type of toxic working habit, right? Like you overwork, you over push. Um, this stuff that we're doing in August in the easing into fall semester will help you. So come to the event. I would love to have you. I am talking to Dr. Liz Smith, Gunnison County Commissioner in Colorado and former lecturer in English and program coordinator. Liz, thank you so much for being here. Thanks so much for inviting me, Danielle. I'm really excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I have to say that we met on a Facebook group and um, as soon as you had posted something about um, sort of finding your purpose in um, the political realm after having left academia, I was like, oh my gosh, I've got to talk to this woman. So I'm so excited to be having this conversation. I have not talked to somebody in this uh, line of work who is a former academic yet before on the podcast. Um, so this is the deal. You told me when we talked before that you had like two to three people telling you you should run for public office. Yes, um, this was while you were still an academic and you had never really seriously considered doing it. Yeah, I think that when you go through several years of a PhD program and you imagine sort of what your career is going to look like, um, you know, these, these other types of opportunities don't really come to the fore as something that you would chase down. Um, and, and I think that there was just a lot of um, building up that I had to do in my own confidence before something like that even felt possible. Um, mm. As I've learned, most women especially need to be told six to seven times that they should run for an office before they'll start to take those suggestions seriously. Um, and my, my path toward that pivot into um, public service has been unconventional. But uh, yeah, I think that it really started because, um, you know, as academics, we always fill up our calendars, it seems like. And I started volunteering as soon as I moved um, to Gunnison to uh, work with the County Democratic Party. And before I knew it, I was co-chairing that party. And so that kind of gave me um, a, a sort of like networking opportunity that um, I was really just trying to serve the public and move our mm. county party into what I thought was a good direction that would appeal to independence and show that we were, you know, really careful thinkers about complex problems. Um, and so it felt like really meaningful work. <laughs> and, uh, and through that, I had just I ran into many people who were already serving in public office, and some of them said, you ought to think about this. The first person, really, who, who said that was Phil Weiser, our attorney general. He was out here campaigning um, for his election in 2018, and we just had a conversation, and he said, when are you running for office? And I said, that's <laughs> funny. I don't really even know what I would run for. And he said, county commissioner. <laughs> and I'm like, 
kind of marveling at the just you know how did it all unfold this way because that's where I ended up but um, it, it was like some early people and voices like that making those comments early on that um, planted the seed so that when the opportunity did arise um, I was a little bit more sure-footed and and you know confident about saying yes I can do this and and try to reach out and grab it. Wow. And so what do you think it was that they saw? And what was your response when you, uh, before you had built up the confidence? Oh, that's a really good question. I would say that, um, you know, that as a co-chair for the county party, and this was also very central to my pedagogy and the way that I felt um, I wanted to conduct my classes and my relationships with students and the atmosphere in the classroom. Um, I was always really moved by Peter Elbow's The Believing Game. And so there might be some academics out there who know who, know who that is. <laughs> but um, I feel like it's such an important habit of mind. And, and Elbow's Believing Game is really um, a strategy to facilitate better critical thinking. And he makes a compelling argument that in Western culture, especially, we're very good at finding hidden flaws and ideas that we like. I mean, it's, mm. it's that bias is confirmed in even the term critical thinking. But what we're less adept at is um, the habit of finding hidden virtues and ideas that we don't mm. like and that we might find threatening or repugnant even. And so in my conversation with Phil, I remember <laughs> this was before the pandemic, which also makes me laugh. Like we were using the example of, um, you know, people who are re resistant to vaccines. And so I was like, well, if I was to try and walk through this, you know, I would be trying to understand where those, where people with that belief come from. And, you know, what do they have right that maybe I don't want to, that's not part of my worldview. Um, and so we talked through how, like, has the government given people lots of reasons not to trust them previously? Yes. You know, <laughs> you walk through these examples and then you can construct, um, you know, for at least for myself, um, a, a way to imagine like where they're coming from in a way that retains their humanity and keeps that intact. Mm -hmm. um, you can still mm -hmm. disagree, but it helps you see humanity and it also helps you challenge your own assumptions so that you're not kind of in your own echo chamber. And so that's something that I've just tried to habitually practice in my relationships with people, um, the way that I drove the party, which was to say, no, we have to try and drive a message of that's more unifying than like, this is our camp. And so, you know, a lot of that entailed that work of what do, I, what do people who I disagree with have right? And I really pushed that as a message for the party um, and then I, I just think that, you know, in the 20, oh my gosh, was it the 2020 election? <laughs> it was, <laughs> it feels like saying 2020 feels like so long ago. Um, uh -huh. but in the 2020 election, which was so contentious, I think that that message that I was trying to push of unity and finding the humanity and, and positions that we might not agree with, um, just resonated with people. So you have this general philosophy 
that people liked and they told you, look, you really need to run for office. But I'm wondering then, how did you respond to that early in sort of your your thinking about public office? Um, because, you know, before you built the confidence, like. <laughs> My first response was, I don't have time for that. <laughs> So I just was really like, you know, I was in my career and it was taking up 60 hours a week. And I was just, it was something that I almost didn't even have time to think about. And it was only after the fact that I kind of pieced it together when the, the opportunity came. Um, but yeah, I just, I didn't see myself stepping away at that time from the work that I was doing because it did feel really purposeful and important. Um, just the work I was doing on campus. Um, and, and I think that, you know, a lot of things have changed since then. But I also, I, I'll be honest, Danielle, to your point, I feel like I was probably having a hard time imagining myself in that role. Um, and that, I think that that just took a lot of work and time, um, you know, on my own to really get there. <laughs> um, mm. And And honestly, I don't know that, I was totally there when I had to make the decision to run and then mm -hmm. I just had to get there because I was doing it. So, um, yeah, I, I think that that's, uh, I, I don't, I didn't really take it seriously because I couldn't imagine myself in that role at that moment. Okay. Okay. So, um, let's talk about, I, I guess that brings up two things for me. One is you told me that you are in sort of a group of women who want to or have run for public office. And it's sort of a, a group that helps them to build confidence. Um, will you talk a little bit about that sort of issue that we tend to have around imagining ourselves in that role or imagining ourselves in public office? Absolutely. Yes. I am in a, a group called Emerge, and, and I think that there are 27 states that have a signature program like this. Um, so ours is Emerge Colorado, and every year they take on, I think, 25 women um, into a cohort, and we spend six months together, one weekend a month. Um, mm -hmm. This year it's been virtual, um, but we spend six months together just sort of working with consultants. We have guest speakers, and you know, they go through nuts and bolts, but then also um, things like messaging and uh, in order to kind of give us a really robust toolkit to run for office. So I was one of three women who were already in office when I was accepted into the program. And I remember when I interviewed for it, um, I asked the executive director, um, so if I'm already elected, why should I do this program? And she said, honestly, it's the community. It's just having that community of women. And it is, we're, we're having our, um, our graduation ceremony this upcoming weekend. So we're, we're on our way out. We're at the other end of it now. But um, I have to say that, you know, the transformation that I've seen and the women that are in the program and also in myself, like, you know, we're, we're really there to support each other in a way that I, I think that, um, is hard to get elsewhere. So, you know, we build each other up and we help each other. Um, a lot of people are helping with um, campaigns for city council right now, that kind of thing. 
Um, and so just having like that network of women who believe in you and that you believe in them has been one of the more empowering and unexpected benefits, I feel like, of, of taking this direction that um, just knowing that there are so many women like that out there that are, are doing amazing things and changing the world <laughs> is a really, really cool thing to, to feel like I'm a part of, so... It makes me think of a group I am involved in, and I think I told you about it. It's it's very similar among women entrepreneurs, and I just find myself like um, feeling more empowered than I've ever felt in my life um, being part of this group. Like, like I can actually do this. Like, this is very possible uh, feeling. Um, and and that is not that is not something I could readily feel or know in isolation. <laughs> and so I hear what you're saying about community and how important it is. And I'm wondering, like, what sort of transformation have you seen in the group? Um, I don't know, an, an example or two. I think that it's just really confidence, um, mm. you know. It's, it's so fascinating to me because when we all got together, I think that, um, and this is not uncommon, I don't think, we were looking at each other and being like, oh my gosh, look what you've done, you're so amazing, <laughs> but not feeling that necessarily for ourselves. And I mm -hmm. think that just this time together has allowed us to grow and expand and embrace the fact that like, yes, we are here and we can do this. And um that confidence is everything it it i mean i it, i feel like it permeates everything that you say and do and it permeates and influences how people perceive you and whether they think that you would be a good representative or a city councilwoman or whatever role you're running for and so um that shift in confidence it it just kind of radiates it, like in some ways you you used your work in this sort of 60 hours per week work um, to sort of keep you from looking in that direction because of the lack of confidence. I mean, tell me where I'm wrong. Does that sound like what you were saying to me? I, I think that there was um, a lack of courage, <laughs> maybe uh, is a better uh -huh. way to say it. Like I didn't have the courage to think about um, such a big transformation and I think that it, it just takes a lot of courage to envision yourself in a different space. And sometimes it takes us some time to figure out that, <laughs> you know, maybe there's another way. It took me a while to get there. And in fact, even when I really seriously contemplated running for office, I had to think about the women that I knew that were in office that I had, I had come to know through my work um, in the County Democratic Party. You know, we had two house reps because our county is split that I know really well and our state senator, all women. And I just thought I was holding on to that image of them like, yes, this is why you can do it, because I had that that Im that model or that example. And so I just felt like this really profound need to share with people like there's you can imagine other things. <laughs> and what I think I've realized through all this is that when I look at other people, and I, I'm thinking when I was back at the university, when I would look at other people doing these things, I'd be like, of course you can, <laughs> you know, like, and cheer them on in my mind, like, because you're amazing, of course you can do that. 
And then it was surprising for, you know, some people to come to me and say that I had had an effect on them. Like one was my cousin. We just reconnected recently and um, had a long conversation about this. You know, she said, if it weren't for you pursuing your PhD, I don't know that I would have had the courage to go to graduate school. And I, yeah. I don't know how often we realize that as maybe small as we sometimes feel that we're still like a light to other people. <laughs> and that has been a really oh, yeah. uncomfortable and, and difficult thing for me to like wrap my mind around and accept. And my nightmare actually would be for people to listen to this podcast and be like, well, of course you can do that. You know, like, why not go be a county commissioner and then think, but not me because mm -hmm. that's, it's not true. And I think that the way that we frame these things in our own minds and what we decide we're capable of is really the regulator on what we can, what we actually do. What is it that drove you to run for office in the first place? Well, I, I think that once I actually began to allow myself to imagine possibilities beyond the university, I felt a really deep and profound calling to this type of work. And, and you know, some of that goes back to my own experience as a kid. Um, my parents divorced when I was quite young, and um, I kind of had a foot in two different worlds. So with my father, who was a little bit more financially secure, uh, we were we were pretty comfortable. But my mom, who had helped him build his business um, after the divorce, she kind of got the short shrift. And I remember when we would have our time with her, it was really um, unsettling for a kid. So we experienced near homelessness. Um, my for a while, we were staying uh, in an abandoned house on my uncle's property. He um, was a rancher and raised cattle. Wow. So he had a large property, but um, with an abandoned house, it still, the electricity and water still worked, but the floor was falling in in the kitchen. I remember my brother and I weren't allowed to go in the kitchen because only my mom knew how to work. She knew how to walk the floor joists. And it just mm. wasn't safe for us there. And then I just remember going to food pantries and paying for groceries at the grocery store with food stamps and just feeling the looks from people. And, and just as a young kid, even just feeling that shame that mm. I was internalizing from other people's responses to us. And, um, you know, sometimes the food would sort of run out and we would be eating bagged cereal and powdered milk for an entire weekend. And so... Um, you know, that's been something that I revisited, I think, through my healing journey, you know, when I found out I had a panic disorder, I had to go all the way back, you know, and so that was something that I had, you know, been thinking about in the past few years. And then, you know, the pandemic happened. <laughs> and there were so many people in our community who were struggling with these issues, and many of them for the first time. So locally here, um, our food pantry usage has been just through the roof. Uh, we have a major housing crisis right now. So, um, you know, and I feel just, I, I understand what that feels like to not know where you're going to be living and to know, not know, and I imagine the kids, like how they're feeling. And healthcare out here is really prohibitively expensive on the Western slope for a lot of people. I also, you know, had a lot of experience trying to navigate the early childhood education network 
as a small rural community, you don't have a lot of options. And there were times where we didn't have enough childcare. And I know that there are a lot of people who forego going to work for the first few years, either because the pay that they would make in their job doesn't work out financially um, to make sense to do that, or they just can't find a spot out here. So, and then also mental health felt like there were so many real issues in the world, like concrete ones that I just felt like I want to do more, right? Like I really love teaching and I love being at a university and I love working with students, but these, these problems are really pulling at me. And I felt so powerless within the university um, to really do much about them. And so when the pandemic happened and all of these issues were exacerbated, I just realized like, yes, you're on the right path. You know, like you want to go halftime next year and, you know, find a different career trajectory that deals with this type of work. So um, I also just felt like I, I had to dig really deep for the courage to do it. Um, not many women have been a county commissioner here. I'm only the third woman to be a commissioner in Gunnison County. And, you know, I had so many women, though, approach me to say that they wanted me in that seat, that they wanted that type of representation. And so there were a lot of reasons, and it just felt like a lot of different things um, lining up all at once that really crystallized for me, like, you have to do this. I know it's really scary, but this is it. This is your path. Wow. Okay. So I guess what's resonating with me is just this idea of as you heal yourself, you start to open up to this new sort of career path that is going to allow you to sort of heal the the community around you. And that just feels really beautiful to me. Um, so can you talk a little bit more about that courage that drove you to, to run for office? Yeah. Um, so... I think that up until that point in my life, the only, I, as I reflect, the only real like courageous things I had ever done. <laughs> um, and I think of it as things that you, you're you scared to do because you don't know if you can succeed. And the only times that I felt like I had really done something like that were in like physical endeavors or feats. So, you know, I was a runner in college and I ran middle distance. And so after college, when I signed up for my first marathon, I was like, I don't know. I don't know how this is going to go. I don't know if I can do this. Um, and I remembered when I was training for that, just getting so emotional at the magnitude of what I was trying to attempt. And, um, and then when I finished it, I was like, oh, my gosh, like I can do so much more than I ever thought. And the same thing happened when I moved to Gunnison. And I thought, OK, I'm going to sign up for a trail ultra marathon. <laughs> And I did. I, I signed up for one called the Grand Traverse. That is a, a it's a race that goes from downtown Crested Butte over the mountains to Aspen. It's 41 miles. Wow. And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I can do that. Um, and again, like when I when I trained for it and then I just took it out slow and easy and I, I did it. I it was just, again, this really profound sense of I had no idea that that was in me, mm -hmm. um, but I've, I've never really done that. I, I don't think with something like a career and this was a really scary step because when you invest so many years into a PhD and, you know, at, at this university, I 
for a lecturer, for somebody who was contingent faculty, I had a lot of really great opportunities on that campus. I was coordinating our writing center and um, our first year seminar program. And I felt that those things were so rich and rewarding. Um, and, you know, I knew I was going to have to run for office and let some of those things go. And if it didn't work out, if I wasn't elected, you know, it's kind of like you lose everything. And so um, that uncertainty just really still sticks with me. I, I just not knowing whether I could win and what my life would be like on the other end. But I think by that point, I had just decided, but you have to try because you'll regret never knowing. And there is always yeah. something else. There's something else you might not see the path, but there is something else on the other side that you can do. And you know, as scary as that was, it was also really richly liberating. Um, yeah, I feel like I grew so much just putting myself into that into that place, and I gained this whole other sense of confidence of what was possible, what I'm, what I can do, what I can attempt. Um, I was, I feel like I gained a capacity to dream <laughs> a lot mm. bigger than I had ever thought that I could, and um, that that alone, I was like that is the reward like if anything else if i don't win this election i will always have that and you know and so for that i just felt like i it felt like the most richly rewarding thing that could be done because i didn't know if it would work out and i think even if i wasn't elected um, i would still feel that way like i had this profound growth that i never would have been able to get elsewhere Okay, is there anything else you want to say before we end this conversation, just so that it feels complete to you? Yeah, I think that what I'm really just left thinking about right now is the power of being courageous and, um, and to think beyond the world that we're living in currently, that there's so many possibilities. And, you know, for a long time, I felt like I was kind of stuck in the in the path that I had picked because I'd spent so many years working toward it. And I really appreciate now looking back how, you know, a lot of people might not see a direct correlation between the study of literature to <laughs> um, public service. But uh, as I look back now, I feel like that time that I had to think and contemplate um, in my PhD and the work that I did in universities really set me up for success and what I decided to do next. And, but it really took that courage to look in a new direction and say, it's okay to do something else. And I don't know who needs, who needs to hear that. I'm sure that there are mm -hmm. other people mm -hmm. like me. <laughs> many, many of us do. Um, <laughs> All of us do. <laughs> but we are capable of so much more than we think mm -hmm. we are. And, um, and just, you know, taking that chance and having that courage to do something daring and bold and new can lead to some of the most richly rewarding results. And even if it doesn't look like what you expected, you know, the, the self-transformation I feel like is enough of a reward all its own. What a great way to end this. Um, so if you are resonating with what Liz says, um, I 
think, Liz, we have a way for people to contact you. Would you be available for email or anything like that or, or to connect via LinkedIn or how, how might that work? Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm on LinkedIn. I think it's uh, Liz Smith Gunnison um, is where people can find me on LinkedIn and um, email. I'm lizsmith.gunnison at gmail.com. Um, especially if you're interested in taking this very scary leap <laughs> into public uh, public service or politics, you know, I feel like I love talking to people about that because there's so many people have the potential there and, and it's hard. It can be hard to imagine yourself there until you really hear enough people saying you got this. <laughs> so I welcome those conversations. Thanks for listening to Self-Compassionate Professor. Find me on LinkedIn at Danielle Delamar, on Twitter and Instagram at Danielle SC Prof, or schedule a free coaching consult at selfcompassionateprofessor.com. Be well.